We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. What up, Chiefs Kingdom? This is KCS and Update. I'm BJ Kissel. And- This series is your daily dose of Chiefs news and updates from us here at KC Sports Network. We appreciate you for spending part of your day with us, whether you're watching on YouTube or whether you're listening to the podcast audio. We appreciate your support of what we got going on. And it is Tuesday, which means we are going to be joined by The Athletic's Nate Taylor with our five burning questions, talking a little bit about the last game, that big win on Sunday night over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but also uh, chatting a little bit about the game coming up at Arrowhead Stadium, an AFC West showdown against the Las Vegas Raiders at Arrowhead. Uh, Should be a good one. But before we bring on Nate to get his thoughts on all of this, we've got to get a quick word from our presenting sponsor of our show here, DraftKings. The NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any football team and get $200 in free bets if they do. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. The Chiefs are 7.5-point favorites against the Las Vegas Raiders uh, coming up on that game on Monday night with the over-under, as of right now, at 51 points. Now, I said this yesterday in case it's an update, but if you are the betting type and you think what we saw on Sunday night is a sign of things to come, I don't think it's going out too much on a limb to say that the uh, the Las Vegas Raiders defense is not uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, particularly in that backfield. Uh, although we know that Max Crosby, their edge rusher, is one of the best in the NFL. So a guy you definitely have to pay attention to. But the way the offense is rolling, the way this team is rolling, uh, you got to like those lines. But anything can happen in the AFC West showdown, especially with a team like the Raiders that had high hopes coming into this season uh, to start one and three, um, oh, and three, and then uh, pull out that victory over the Broncos was huge for them. And they're going to look at this as almost like a playoff game uh, as they dig themselves out of the hole they created uh, by starting zero and three. But to make things e- even sweeter with DraftKings, you can throw down on stepped up same game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KCSN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. 
That's code KCSN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, and now we bring on the Athletics Nate Taylor to chat about this one. Nate, it's Tuesday. It's always good to see you, my guy. Uh, how was how was the flight back from Tampa? How was the overall trip before we get into this game? Uh, what was that like flying down to Florida with everything going on? Yeah, no, it, it's a it's a great question, BJ, because I think I was a bit nervous, but I was on a Southwest flight going to Tampa, and I would say ninety percent of it were Chiefs fans, uh, and so. <laughs> For those folks, and I think for mostly people in Tampa, it's a relief, uh, honestly, that the game was played in Tampa Bay, that it was, you know, that the weather was was honestly pretty nice. Um, you know, the, everything around Tampa has been impacted by Hurricane Ian, uh, so that's un- unfortunate. But the, the trip was good. I'm glad that the NFL had, you know, made some efforts to try to get people to donate um, to help out those people down there, especially in Fort Myers. Um, you know, Orlando got impacted more than Tampa, but the trip overall was, was pretty smooth. Um, and so on Thursday, when we found out the game was going to be played in Tampa instead of Minneapolis, you go, okay, is the, you know, is the civic pride overtaking the, you know, logical reasons as to why this game is, you know, going to stay where it is. Is that the right yeah. decision? Are you making it uh, a good call for, for everybody involved? And, you know, fortunately, uh, they made, you know, a pretty logical decision um, and the weather worked out fine. I know there were some Chiefs fans that mentioned to me before the game, BJ, how would the turf look, you know, especially after what we saw go on with Harrison Bucker in State, you know, State Farm Stadium in in Arizona. And so the field held up nicely. I don't think that was an issue in the game. Um, And I think most people had power in the Tampa area by Saturday. And so everybody can watch the game on Sunday. Um, and then the flight back was pretty cool. I um, I was on two Delta flights, and that had also a lot of Chiefs fans. And so whenever you're deciding, you know, ladies and gentlemen, that you want to go see the team on the road, it is really one of those hard decisions where you're like, I, uh, this is a primetime game. I'm going to be up. I might be uh, liquefied to some degree. Um, and then I got to get up at how early, uh, which is usually like five to six. So that, you know, with business travel, that's usually seven to eight, maybe nine o'clock if you're fortunate. Um, But all those people were happy. And it was cool to chat with a few of them to just get their perspective of watching Mahomes in person when it's a primetime game. Uh, I won't call it a must win, but a a real bounce back opportunity. Um, And when you know Tom Brady's on the other side, you you might as well bring out the best that you have. And so. Uh, talking to a few of those people was was really fun just to get their their sense of like, man, I've been to games before, you know, <laughs> they are fortunate to have the means, but at the same time, they're like, my goodness, like, did you see what he did? It's like, yeah, I was, yeah. <laughs> I was right in front of my press box seats uh, in that corner yeah. of the end zone. Yeah, the Chiefs were definitely on one. I'm excited to talk about that with you. And I think, you know, there were some talking points. I know we talked about it um, on KCSN Update, you know, the days leading up to the game. Uh, as far as kind of what the atmosphere was going to be like at the stadium. Was it going to be this over-energized, everybody kind of rallying behind what was going on? And the Chiefs kind of took the wind out of any of the sails that, uh, that you know, Tampa Bay fans were going to have by the way the game that started, by the way the game got started. Um, but I know one of the things that you had texted me that we were going to talk about, and I want to ask you about before we get into the five questions, uh, is just the vibe in the locker room. 
you know, you said uh, it was a happy locker. Anytime you go into a primetime mm -hmm. game and those guys know the whole world is watching, especially coming off, you know, the Colts game, it was going to be something where they felt like they had something to prove. But uh, what did you see in the locker room after the game and how different was it compared to, I don't say obviously the Colts game because they lost, but just other <laughs> locker rooms you've been in over the years, even after wins. Yeah. So, um, you know, we haven't been in the locker room the last couple of years because of COVID-19. No, that's right. Uh, you know, and so I'm trying to, you know, not be, um, you know, spur of the moment myself because obviously mm -hmm. I've been in the locker rooms, you know, pre-pandemic. Like I've seen, you know, I've seen the ebbs and flows of the season uh, through the lens of seeing the guys, you know, right after they've competed. Um, but last night it felt like, okay, this is a, this is a legitimate team now. Um, it's not as much individual guys or two groups. You know, I think you can enter the season mm -hmm. with two or three different type of groups, right? You have this large rookie class. You have guys that mm -hmm. are coming from free agency. Uh, although they don't have a ton of those guys, those guys have not been a part of this team. And then you've got all yeah. those guys who were in Raymond James Stadium for Super Bowl 55. And for the first time to me, BJ, it felt like, okay, you're four games in, you're starting to understand each other. You're starting to compete together. Uh, like you said, the whole world's watching. Now this feels like a legitimate team because they all worked mm -hmm. together uh, to help out those guys that went through that, that career trauma, I guess you could say, in, in Super Bowl 55. And all the young players stepped up. Like all the young players mm -hmm. did what they were asked to do in this game, most notably, you know, Isaiah Pacheco. Mm -hmm. um, I think this team was so excited to, you know, put what happened in Indianapolis away, but just to mm -hmm. remind the rest of the league in the, in the Buccaneers, as I mentioned with you, BJ, the last team, the first team who could really laugh at the, at the chief's expense and get away with it. Well, now they can't anymore. And I, so I, I think the chiefs were, were thrilled to, um, to demonstrate their talents I think the coaching staff did a much better job from the week before. And man, Andrew Wiley, like ready to just tell you everything. Um, Orlando Brown, who knows he's not fully healthy, you know, explaining that, hey, I grinded this thing out. And like, I'm happy that, you know, even though I wasn't a part of this, I'm a mm -hmm. part of the solution, right? Like, like all of this kind of flows yeah. through you know, some of these young guys. Um, you know, Justin Reed, explaining that hey we made them one-dimensional and it was the it was it was the most fun just don't let the ball get behind you make tom brady work for every single yard and they can't run the ball on us like that's like just him explaining like how great of a feeling that was um legere sneed gave a lot of his tricks to what makes him such a good blitzer which you know uh people will read very quickly on the athletic.com here soon later this week um, but you, you go around the room and you just see a lot of smiles and you see a lot of guys that understand what they're capable of doing together. And yeah. it's one thing to do it against Arizona on opening day because you've worked literally from the start of training camp to that game. It's it's another yeah. thing to do it in the regular season in a week where you know you were, <clears throat> you know, being, being tarnished <laughs> by just about everybody. And then you come out and you beat – uh, you know, a Tom Brady-led team uh, that was getting healthy in its own right, that had its own emotions going into the game, but because of everything yeah. we talked about earlier, 
with the weather and the, and the circumstances down there in Florida, like they had something to play and to prove. Um, and you went out and you spanked them from the opening kickoff. That that rarely happens in a primetime setting. Um, so for the team, it was just a locker room that I think I will remember about, you know, potentially being one of those pivotal points in the season, you know, as the team mm-hmm. obviously is, is trending towards obviously being a, a contender in the postseason. Yeah, I need you to stop giving such long answers because you're starting to get into some of our questions, Nate. So <laughs> we gotta, well, you know, I still gotta you know, be able to I still gotta be able to fire off my five burning questions, even though you don't know what they are. Yeah, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, I just I just give BJ everything and then and then we <laughs> and then we really pare it down from there. All right, let's get started with the five burning questions. And uh you kind of answered it there and I kind of set you up for it anyway, but just how personal do you feel that the team took the loss to the Colts? How much of this was kind of what Shaq Barrett said? Like if you had to weigh what the motivation was behind, you know, obviously outside of just going out there, they're professionals. They want to go win a football game, that little mm-hmm. extra, how much do you think it was coming off the loss against the Colts and what was said, or how much do you think of it was like Shaq Barrett? And just the Bucks kind of situation uh, coming up, you know, following that loss in that stadium. If you had to weigh which one of those you think motivated them more to come out and just to dominate the the league's best defense, which what do you think it would be? Um, I, I've thought about this, and it's I'm so happy you asked me this question because <laughs> it's one of those things that I had to think about as I was writing my story in the press box after the game. Like I I described it as like the perfect mixture of motivation. Um, but to, but, you know, I didn't have to, you know, divvy it up in terms of percentages. So I'm glad (laughs) that you, that you asked me that, you know, I would think that like, because of the prominent guys that are on the team that were on the team in Super Bowl 50, I would say like half of the motivation was, was just that, like it's the same stadium against many of the same guys on the same team that beat us and really prevented us from being back-to-back champions in a true NFL dynasty. So I think 50% was just that like Clyde Edwards, a layer saying walking in that locker room the only thing i can remember is crying because we we didn't win the super bowl and then on the other 50 percent, i would say 30 of it is shaq barrett like these fans should send so many thank you cards so many like yeah. christmas like like gifts like donate to this man's charity because he essentially became like the 12th man for the Chiefs, even though he plays for the Buccaneers. And Shaq Barrett is not a rookie. Shaq Barrett won the Super Bowl with these fellas. Like, he not dumb, but at the same time, how could you say this publicly in front of camera, sir? Um, and I, and I'll, yeah. I'll, give a, I'll give a nice credit to my guy Greg Allman, who covers the Buccaneers for us at The Athletic, who asked Shaq Barrett the question, hey, man, they have a whole new offensive line. Like, you know, just give me a comparison as to what you – obviously facing the Super Bowl to what you are going to play on Sunday. And Shaq Barrett, ladies and gentlemen, laughed in front of the question that was on camera because they were doing interviews on Zoom because obviously I think a large portion of the Tampa Bay media was still in Tampa Bay, but the team had obviously mm. trained in Miami. So yeah, it's 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 on it's on a computer. And then the Buccaneers, <laughs> which I also don't know why they did this from a social media standpoint, put the answer on their Twitter account, ladies and gentlemen, the Chiefs will never do this under Andy Reid. Uh, so yeah, they, no. they they already <laughs> like um, incentivized the team, and then they publicly shared it to the world. 
Um, and then Andrew Wiley, I thought was was yeah. really great in just saying it like, well, you guys told me what he said. And I was like, yes, yes, we did. We told you exactly. <laughs> yes, we, <laughs> yes. We put yes, it on a platter did. for it. We, yes. we showed it to you. We shoved it down your face. Yeah. Yes. Uh, want to make sure you don't and, miss that. Yeah. And what are you going to do with this now, Andrew Wiley? Well, we all saw the results. So I think 30 percent of yeah. it is solely dependent on Shaq Barrett doing the thing that every coach, every family member tells you not to do in a big time game leading up to it. And then I think 20% of it was like, man, do we really have to watch this tape, Andy? And Andy was like, yeah, we're going to watch every single snap. <laughs> and so it's one thing when you make a mistake as a human being, right? But it's another when you have to acknowledge it to like people that matter to you, to your coworkers, yeah. to people who depend on you, whether it's family members or friends. And so going through that experience of like, oh, my God, we played worse than even I anticipated. And I was out there doing it. And it's like, yeah. So I give credit to the coaches to not hammer the team, but to also just say, hey, this is where we're going to get better at this. Here's where we're going to get better here. You know, hey, Sky, like, you know, make sure you catch the ball before anything happens with the return. And that's what he did on Sunday. Um, yeah. Hey, Pacheco, like. There's one thing about running hard, but you got to run hard while setting up your blockers. And he went out there and he mm -hmm. did that. Um, you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire had just a better overall game and he was motivated on his own. Um, but you still got to find those details um, that Travis Kelsey sort of mentioned in his postgame comments. Just the idea that like we were so detail oriented, we knew what the Bucks were probably going to present to us. And based on how poorly we played against the Colts, we need to be really specific and determined in our actions. Um, and so, yeah, the Colts weirdly benefited the Chiefs, even though they gave them their first loss. And from the flip side of it, if anybody was watching before the game on Sunday, the Colts got no benefit beating the Chiefs. They got yeah. satisfied, and they looked like a team that um, is not very good. So you can get up for a week in the NFL, the difference between contenders and pretenders is can you be consistent week to week in terms of motivating yourself and executing at a high level? Yeah. I originally had a question here that was, you know, would the real chiefs team please stand up and which one is it? Is it the team you saw against the Colts? It came, we saw against the Bucks, but that's too easy for you. So I, I scrapped that one. Nate. Uh, so we're going to go, we're going to go to the next one. And you mentioned Isaiah Pacheco. Uh, is this a sign of things to come for him? Do you think we're going to see this kind of, uh, running back split moving forward or do you think this was more a matchup thing with as much as the Chiefs ran the ball in that game I mean, they had 189 yards rushing against the team that hadn't given up that many yards rushing in over four years or nearly four years so mm -hmm. do you think this is what we're going to see from Pacheco uh, not that that's a and I know there's narratives out there on social media I want to stop this at least from that's not why I'm asking there's nothing to do with Clyde Edwards Hilaire this is just mm -hmm. about having two running backs that most of the teams in the NFL have two guys uh, that they run out there that kind of split carries. Do you see this kind of usage being more in line like this, or do you think this was a matchup type deal? Um, I think it was a situational type deal, but I, I hope if you're, if you're a Chiefs fan, the hope has got to be that this is a trend that continues as the season goes along. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Clyde Edwards Alaire's role job was never in jeopardy, even with last right. week's performance against the Colts. Like, you know, everybody is capable of having a bad game. He had a bad game. Um, it's just a it's just a matter of he had a bad game around all these other people that had bad games. Um, so I think Clyde is still the number one back. What what is interesting, BJ, is is that the Chiefs got up as quickly as you can in a primetime game. 
You know, they 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 were up seven nothing in the first minute of the game because you know we should give credit to Crystal Mons, uh, Jack Cochran, uh, Elijah Lee for for obviously creating and and uh, and capturing the football and, and the turnover on the opening kickoff. But for Pacheco, a lot of it was situational dependent because we have the lead and now everything is available to us at our disposal, which is so different from what the Bucks went through, which is we have not been able to run the ball. We can't run the ball successfully. And now everything is put on Tom Brady's shoulders, you know, throwing the ball for over 50 times. I don't think you ever want to see that as a Chiefs fan. Like you, you probably don't need Patrick Mahomes to throw the ball 45 to 50 times a game. Yeah. But if the Chiefs can be really good in that, that 15-play script that Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy put together, um, then, yeah, now you have the ability to run the ball throughout the course of the game. You're on your you're on your game script. You know, you're sort of dictating the tempo because of the scoreboard. And, yeah, if this offensive line can get the amount of push on counters, draws, and just sort of these stretch plays and even some of the, you know, funky uh, option plays that I think are – it's just there to just sprinkle in. But even on those plays, like if Mahomes gives the ball to a Pacheco, well, he's the guy who has the most speed on the outside to where you can see yeah. that having success. Um, yeah, I think Jerick McKinnon is still the third down back because, ladies and gentlemen, this man blocks like his life is dependent upon it. <laughs> um, so you have the – I think you have the rotation. And what I think Andy Reid appreciates most is they're seeing incremental progress with Isaiah Pacheco. And yeah. if that continues to happen, then yeah, now you have a two tandem. You have a tandem of running backs that can be effective. And now everything's not on Clyde, right? I mean, he had 19 carries, but again, that was more situational because you were just squeezing the life out of the Buccaneers defense. But yeah. yet he didn't take all the carries. He still had plenty for Isaiah Pacheco, who I believe had 11. Um, and they, so, and yeah, they had success ahead. running the ball. They had success yes. running the ball when they were ahead. And I thought that mm-hmm. was the most impressive thing in the second half is when you knew that they were going to run the football and try to run the clock out as much as you think they're going to run with Andy Reid. Because even when you think they're going to run, they're still going to have short little passes <laughs> and all those things. But, you know, there were a handful, you know, there were three or four runs where I, we were watching the game with Kent Swanson. I was like, hey, they know we're running and we're still running it right down their throat. Yeah, Like and- we're running, we're picking up six, seven yards on first yeah. down on a Clyde carry. And the other point that I was going to make, and I think maybe it's just those guys kind of feeding off each other, is that it wasn't even just the running backs. It was Juju. It was, you know, anybody who got their hands on the ball. These guys were running angry. Those guys were running through contact. They were falling forward. They were picking up a yard, yard and a half. Every time they made contact with somebody, they were trying to drive into them, which uh, stood out. And that's motivation. That's not something you can just flip on once the game starts. That's something that starts building, you know, from Monday after exactly. that game. So yeah. uh, I do want to move on to the third one because uh, it fits in with the rookies. And I've talked for the last two days about, you know, how important I thought that game was for the rookie class uh, because not only did they go out in an environment that is as close to, I won't say a playoff atmosphere, but for a young player to stand across and see Tom Brady run out on the field, knowing he's the best quarterback to ever play uh, mm-hmm. and just what he's done throughout his career under the lights um, going on a field where they know that, you know, the guys that you look up to on that team had lost two years ago and it was still fresh and it was still an open wound. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was there were a lot of you know pressure, a lot of just hype and just kind of ambiance around that game. And for the young players to not only step out and play, but step out and play well. When you say, you know, these guys don't 
feel like rookies at the end of the season because they have so much experience that experience when you say those things is because of games like sunday night for those guys, mm-hmm. guys to go out and play well so my question for you and we saw Karloftis make a play we saw brian cook make a nice play in the end zone um obviously we just got done talking about pacheco and all this is you're not even talking about trent mcduffie uh who's been out and he was the first pick uh in this class but um who has been through four games who has been the most surprising rookie to you and I'm going to mm. take one off the board because I want to give context because we were talking about Pacheco during training camp being a guy. So you can't right, take Pacheco right. because we all expected him uh, to basically be more of what we saw Sunday night based on the <laughs> hype and every, everything we were talking about, to be fair, with everyone right. uh, in the media talking about what we saw from him at training camp. But so far, who's been the most surprising rookie to perform well so far through four games to you, Nate? My initial reaction is to say Jalen Watson because he won you all a game. Hmm. But I think based on where he was taken in the draft and what he's been asked to do incrementally week to week, I think the answer is probably George Karloftis. Um, And I know the sack numbers are not what – he has not gotten one yet, I believe, right? Is that that correct, BJ? Yeah, I'm very aware because I'm the one who predicted him to break Derek Thomas's rookie sack record, and he is falling off that pace. But – he is but disrupting he, play. Exactly. Exactly. See, sir, I don't know uh, what you did with, with DraftKings. Shout out to them. But, hey, uh, he has played still very well. Good. <laughs> still feeling good. Hey, we're still, still feeling good. How many of these we got left? 13, boys. Uh, <laughs> so Just a couple big games. We're right back on track. It's come all on, right. fellas. Come on. So, um, but, yeah, I think Karloftis has been um, – very good uh, for what has been asked of him. We know he can play a lot of snaps because he demonstrated that in college. Um, his tackle for loss against the Buccaneers, that's just smarts. That's just, hey, I've seen that on film. I know that's one of the plays they like to run. Let me go disrupt it immediately as soon as I see the lineman try to pull behind me. Um, I get the sense that Karloftis is not trying to do too much, but he is coming in with a plan. And so that is helping the Chiefs generate some level of pressure, right? Um, the feature star in Sunday's game was Chris Jones. And I think the Chiefs defensive line knew that based on where the strengths and the weaknesses were for the Buccaneers offensive line. It was in the interior. Uh, the yeah. quickest way to get pressure on Tom Brady is right up his face. Uh, and the player that is the most talented on the defensive line is Chris Jones. So why don't we do everything we can to get him one-on-ones or to get him the ability to sort of go through gaps immediately? Um, mm-hmm. But I think George Kalafis has been very good in the run game, which is why the Chiefs are one of the best run defenses in the NFL right now. Um, he had moments against the Colts where it looked like, hey, he was going to get there to Matt Ryan. Um, and I think the fact that he's played all of these games at pretty much a starter level in terms of rotation or snaps, however you want to divide it up. Uh, obviously, there was no Mike Dana this week because of the the right calf that he's dealing with. Um, I got to give it to him. Like, you've had the most opportunity and you haven't, you probably stunk the least. You've probably been the most consistent, even though the stats aren't as, you know, high as you would like them to be, or there, there aren't that many like highlight worthy plays. Um, He's doing his job consistently at a very good level for a rookie four games into a season. There have been highs with Isaiah Pacheco and like Justin Watson, there have been lows with those guys or, you know, snaps that you wish they could have back. Sky Moore, yeah. you know, he had a nice couple receptions 
in the game last week, but obviously we all know what happened in the Colts. So yeah. it's somewhat surprising because as he's alongside a lot of his peers, George Kaloftis has not had that many dips through four games. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, and I have to, to make an apology uh, to everybody who let me know in the comment section that yesterday I said that uh, Sky Moore had his great, you know, best first catch, and he had a, he had a catch against the Arizona Cardinals that I had forgotten about. So yeah, uh, I thought that was a good game for him. But yeah, I think you were some great points. I looked up the stat as soon as you mentioned it. Yeah, the Chiefs lead the NFL, uh, allowing just sixty five point eight yards rushing per game. Helps when you've played four games and one of them you only allowed three yards rushing. Yes, uh, that helps yes. those numbers. But I looked at it, even if they had given up like 100 yards rushing in that game, they'd still be in the top 10 in rushing mm-hmm. defense uh, in the NFL. So it wasn't all just because of that one game. Uh, but let's move on to the fourth um, burning question for you. And this one's uh, more negative slanted because uh, if you're looking mm. for something to pick out uh, about the Chiefs game, I, outside of Clyde edwards Lair's drop and then Mahomes' interception, there was really only two other hiccups that I felt like happened offensively in that game and they were mvs drops and it's something mm. that we've talked about uh with him it was something that packers fans will tell you about and so his yep. biggest concern should chiefs fans be concerned and, and this is to give credit he also made a fantastic play up the scene beating the cover two that people have talked about on the the deep pass down the middle phenomenal right. catch went out and made that catch but then i don't know if it was one specific but may have been a couple of third down passes that he dropped that felt like that's a play we need in a big situation when a game is close for him to make that play. Should Chiefs fans be worried about MVS specifically and just in general, the passing game is talked about with Matt Miller yesterday, you know, 59 yards or whatever it was from Juju, even though it was some high leverage plays, Travis Kelsey was on fire specifically the wide receivers, but even more specifically MVS should Chiefs fans be worried. Um, a little, I think that's fair. Um, I get the sense that there were clearly plays designed for Marquez valdez Scantlin, And mm-hmm. to the one that you mentioned, he did execute at a very high level. 
interestingly enough, they use Marquez as a blocker for some of these quick game sort of routes for Travis Kelsey. I don't even know if you want to call him routes. It's just basically like, hey, I'm throwing you the ball. Give him ball. <laughs> and yeah. Marquez Valdez Scantlin and Juju Smith Schuster, hey, they just happen to be in trips formation as like basically Those are big lead, dudes. Yeah, as lead yeah. blockers. And, yeah. and so I thought that was smart and something to put on tape so that teams have to sort of account for. Um the thing about Marquez Valdez Scantlin is he's got to win deep and he's got to win intermediate. Those are the things that will separate what his career has been or had been in Green Bay, where he just won most of the time on deep routes. Uh, he wasn't a guy that ran a lot of intermediate routes and had a lot of success, right? He's, you know, that's why Juju Smith-Schuster was added on the team as well, because he he sort of thrives in that role. And I think, yeah. you know, he's, he's shown that, hey, if there's opportunity for yards after the catch, he's probably the best guy on the team to go maximize those type of snaps. Um, for Marquez Valdez-Scalin, you know, the thing I would, I would identify for him is yes, obviously catching a more routine ball because that seam ball is really hard. You have to turn your body away from the defender. He's throwing it back shoulder kind of for a reason, uh, that him being Mahomes so that it protects you from the safety sort of crashing down once the ball's being released. And he made it, he made a wonderful catch. Um, can they do more of these plays, BJ, where it's like (laughs) one hand off, two hand offs pump faking and all of a sudden there's MVS just running like a running back kind of swing route from the outside that play was excellent um mm-hmm. so they're designing plays for Marquez Valdez-Scanlon which I think is good because they only really showed one against the Colts and that was that first third down where he was open deep and Mahomes missed him um so out of the whole offense I feel like they haven't designed a ton of plays for MVS or Sky Moore and so at least we got a couple more of those plays for each guy against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. How much will they build that out through the course of the season? Well, that'll be fascinating because, yes, you still have Travis Kelsey. And Juju Smith-Schuster is the person that, you know, you can trust the most, at least right now from a receiver, when it is third and short, when it is third and seven, and everybody's crashing in looking at Travis Kelsey. So big plays are there to be had. But I, I totally understand that, like, hey, when it's a routine ball – he might not catch it as often as you think. And that's because he's so talented on 50-50 go balls and things where, you know, the leverage is a little higher um, for the average receiver. It's it's fascinating, but it's a very good point that you mentioned, BJ, the idea that, man, if MVS can get going with yeah. the way Juju and Travis are playing right now, then I don't know who you guard. Then all of a sudden the offense becomes very reminiscent of 2018, because I think you have the confidence that one of these two running backs is going to be competent and, and quality. So if we can run the ball with one of these two or two of them, and now we have three receivers that we can count on, and now we can just start sprinkling and stuff for Jody Forts and for Sky Moore, for Noah Gray, then, yeah, then the offense becomes a, becomes a really, really hard thing to account for. I was going to try to figure out a way to get a Noah Gray question in here because uh, I know that you had to have loved <laughs> that yeah. play and how much you love Noah Gray, but I'm not going to do it, but I will give I w- it won't be a question. So it's going to be like a four a here, but uh, how excited were you about that play call? Cause I've seen guys go in motion like that. And I've always wondered like, why doesn't he just run up and snap it? And then they did it. Yeah. It's beautiful. It, it's, it's, it's so good. I mean, guys, <laughs> Noah Gray is a better football player than y'all realize. Um, you saw it at Duke. 
And that's so weird to say, right? Like you just saw the tape at Duke and you're like, he was their, he was their indicator for a lot of these plays. And he was so smart and he could be in motion and he could run plays out of the backfield. And yes, he could line up in traditional tight end sets. Um, He can catch the ball really, really well. And now he's gotten to the point where the coaches trust him from a mental standpoint. Now let's add something else to your plate. Let's add this, right? Hey, Blake Bell used to do this. Now it's going to be you, okay? Especially because we've been struggling in these short yardage situations. Let's go back to a play that works. Who can we trust? That's what the coaches ask in these meetings on Monday and Tuesday. Like, hey, if we want to pull that play back, even though Blake Bell is still rehabbing, who can we trust? And and who would be less honestly, you know, um, easy to identify? You know, like I think if Jody Fortson's back there, maybe the defense isn't isn't uh, isn't taken by surprise as much, right? If Travis Kelsey yeah. does it, well, everybody knows who Travis Kelsey is. But actually, the guy who's smart and can you know execute at a high level and is tough as hell is Noah Gray. And um, if anybody has the all twenty-two, I know my buddy Nate Tice from the Athletic tweeted this uh, yesterday. It is the scene ball to MVS that we talked about. Uh, just a few minutes ago. If you go and watch that play on Twitter or on the All-22 that Nate put up, uh, guys, Noah Gray is open on, on the corner route against cover two. Just mm-hmm. saying. Like, Noah Gray starting to get better as a route runner, starting to show more trans translatable all right. traits. All right, so, I gave you your opportunity to talk about Noah Gray. Hey. So, all right. Hey. Nah. <laughs> I, I, I applaud you, sir. All right, let's move on to the final question. And this one is a little bit more loaded because uh, I think, you know, we're all guilty of it at some point, uh, especially with Andy Reid being a, you know, an offensive head coach. Uh, And we know that he has, you know, a lot of control, obviously, over everything uh, within the organization and obviously within the offense. But, you know, you go from the Colts game, come out and play like they do against the Bucks. Andy Reid gets all all of the credit for schematically how we do it, how they're doing it when things go wrong. It's Eric Bieniemy, you know. It's <laughs> there, here's this problem, and so it's a loaded question about how much yeah. credit and how much more goes into what Eric Bieniemy is bringing to this, and it's a two-parter because see that the Colorado job is opening. So the second part of this, how much credit should Eric Bieniemy be getting when we have these conversations about the offense turning things around? And then do, second part, do you expect Eric Bieniemy to be back with the Chiefs next season? Um, great question. Uh, Eric Bieniemy, as I've said to my own wife, who likes to ask these questions, like, at, I, I'll be honest, my Holly, my wife, who I love dearly, who I've been married to for 10 years, um, called me, you know, we got on the phone after the Colts game and she was like, man, I'm seeing all this, you know, vitriol for Eric Bieniemy. And she was like, remind me again, like, what is his part of the process? You know, cause I like to mm-hmm. tell even my wife, ladies and gentlemen, that it's a collaborative process that yes, mm-hmm. Matt Nagy has to say now because he's back mm-hmm. into the fold. So you have to, you have to consider that, right? There were some deep ball plays. There were some, there were some deep route concepts that Mike Kafka came up with that were impressive. Okay. And mm-hmm. Andy Reid told me these things. And then I got to talk to Mike Kafka and he sort of explained them a little bit further. And that's why he's the offensive coordinator for the New York Giants, where they cannot throw the ball deep. It's just, <laughs> it's situational, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah. But for Airbnb, a lot of it comes down to protection. Like, he and Patrick mm-hmm. have to be clear on the protection calls and understand 
the rules that the defensive line is trying to break your tendencies or trying to break your own protection rules and how you account for that. Um, he is so good at teaching running backs how to protect the passer. Um, mm-hmm. I think Jerick McKinnon was good. He's gotten better since he's been at the Chiefs at this. Isaiah Pacheco yeah. stonewalled Derwin James, okay? Like, that that don't yeah. happen every day. But that comes back to coaching and understanding a player's strengths and then using them to, to, to obviously develop them to get better at certain things. With Mahomes, a lot of it is the short yardage situation stuff. Like, obviously, it's a it's it's really a, a – I think it's becoming a four-pronged process, but in the past it was three play, three players involved. It was Mahomes, it was Biennemi, and it was Reed when it came down to what we're going to do on fourth down, what are we going to do on third and short, how much trickery do we want to involve versus just running up and, and, and being the more traditional short yardage offense. And I think yeah. Mahomes and Reed love – the trickery. I think they love the creativity. And and so mm-hmm. Eric Bienemy has got to be, you know, okay with okay, how do we extend that? But we still keep the principles set. So right. it's almost like Eric Bienemy has become the the the, the, the gatekeeper for the idea of <laughs> well, we just want to do all this fun stuff. And it's like, well, let me <laughs> did you see what the Eagles are doing next week, you know, or whatever. Um yeah. he has been the he has been the backbone of Travis Kelsey's career, in my opinion. And in talking to both men about this on a pretty, you know, in-depth manner over the course of last season, you know, Travis Kelsey will tell you that Eric Bieniemy is the reason he is a Hall of Fame tight end because he came to the team when Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid got there in 2013. And Eric Bieniemy has found a way to motivate Travis Kelsey throughout every stage of his career because guess what? Eric Bieniemy used to play in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Eric Bieniemy has a large role in all of this and he can still motivate players at a at a really high level i thought that's where he was excelling in 2018 2019 when he was just getting guys faces and understand the situation and how to voice it at the right time now he's trying to translate into a more of a ceo into a more calming influencing head coach quality assistant offensive coordinator and that's not his fault that's y'all's fault and i'm not really saying the, the, the viewer or the listener it's mostly, you know, guys like Jerry Jones who never decided to interview Eric Bieniemy because Mike McCarthy was so, so sexy from across the bar. Anyway, he's trying <laughs> to do things differently this year, and he's yeah. trying to be more of a of a of a of a more gentle teacher because there are more younger, new players on the team. Um, yeah. When he got into his confrontation with. I shouldn't say confrontation. When he got into his argument, I guess. We had a conversation with Patrick Mahomes. That was caught on camera. He he was right, ladies and gentlemen. He was right. We do not. The situation does not allow us to do this, Pat. So we're good. Calm down. Let me coach you for like four minutes in this halftime. And let's make some damn adjustments because they beating us up front, dog. And why won't you throwing the ball deep if they go, if they're Colts somehow, are not necessarily breaking our protection rules, but they are beating us up front. It makes no sense for us to throw the ball deep when we have a whole nother half to go beat these boys. But the same thing happened against the Bucks. It was almost the same exact situation. Yeah, they had course. four seconds left on the clock, and then they tried to throw it deep, and guess what? He yeah. got sacked. And I was yeah. like, if he gets rolled up on and gets hurt right now, Eric yeah. Bainby is going to – his head's going to yeah. pop off right now because it was the exact same thing. And I'm like, well, they're going to try to uh, and, throw it deep. And, and he did get rolled up on a little – this one of those like awkward – not yeah. quite to the level of the touchdown throw where he spun away from Devin White, where I thought it was awesome. And I immediately thought Mahomes was hurt because of the way that it just awkwardly got <laughs> yes. his leg trapped underneath. I was like, oh, God, 
that was a great play but please get up please get up please yeah get up. right but so, yeah i but, thought it was hilarious now, that it was the same situation but now on tuesday and wednesday as of today eric benemy can, can tell patrick this is why we didn't do it last week this is literally yeah. why we didn't do it last week because i'm supposed to be more I, like he's been, he can be progressive, but he also has to be conservative in some ways because, again, he knows who his head coach and quarterback is. But, so, of but course, Nate, he's you and I both know. You and I both know that if BNME goes up and he's like, "See, that's why we don't do it." You know what Mom's gonna say? I just turned the wrong way. If I turn this way, it's a touchdown. <laughs> like it's not gonna be like he, he understands it. Don't get me yeah, wrong; yeah. it's not like a bad thing. But he's right. like, "Listen, I can make a play. Don't tell me I can't make a play." All right, so for the second part of the question, now that we all, now that I've given you all the background, no, I do not expect Eric Bieniemy to be back with the Chiefs next season. Um, I think that's been understood since he returned right before the combine. Um, now, would I tell Eric Bieniemy to go be the head coach of Colorado? No, I would not, sir. Don't you do that. Um, now it's his yeah. alma mater, and I understand yeah. that. So hey, maybe, maybe they're going to reach out. He has coached there before, so they they have obviously you know some experience. Uh, with his previous tenure. Um, and look, like he wants to be a head coach. Yeah. I think if he had a choice, he would be the head coach of like the Carolina Panthers next season because that's where this thing is trended, y'all. Uh, Matt Rule that, is probably not going to be back. Matt Rule has tried it. Mess. And yeah, they are they a are hot mess. Um, My fantasy team, I went all in on Carolina and I'm struggling. It's not, it's not been great. Um, so I don't anticipate that Eric Bieniemy will be back. If I was representing Eric Bieniemy as like his agent, I would try one more time to go through the NFL cycle. As yeah, poor as it's gone before, but you know, he he fits more, I think, now of an NFL coach than a college yeah. one. And and, and I said this what, because. Yeah, I, I only say, bring it up because it was put out there. It was put yeah, out there right. when he was like, oh, I saw a report or I saw, you know, a tweet. I shouldn't say a report. I saw something out there about, you know, connecting it back to Colorado, which made me think about this question and just that he's not getting a whole lot of credit when things go well. But when things go mm -hmm. poorly, he's the first people that first thing that people bring up now. Right. I would be a little bit I would be surprised, more surprised went back to college and ended up at Colorado compared to somewhere else just because he had been there. There's some stuff. Um that would surprise me a little bit, but I think Carolina to your point would be a good fit there. I just, it's interesting to me that, you know, when things are going really well, not a lot of credit, you know, thrown his direction. And there are some former players and you were kind of touching on this before. I don't mean to I'll mm -hmm. finish, but uh, going back to your last point, there are some people out there that have strong opinions about Eric B and they're not afraid to share them. Former players are the platform uh, mm -hmm. right now. And you and I both know that they're not that he's a, he is like an in your face, especially when he was a running back coach. He'll get in your face. There are a lot of guys um, that, you know, it takes a while to warm up to his coaching style. Some guys don't like that kind of coaching style. Some guys feed into it like a Travis Kelsey, to your point, mm -hmm. um, that they they feed off of somebody being very direct and not sugarcoating anything and letting you know exactly right. what they think of you. Some guys cannot handle that, uh, and especially towards the end of their career. Guys cannot handle uh, being told, hey, you don't have it anymore. Like you can't do this anymore. Uh, they don't take it that well, but uh, it, I laugh when you bring up 
transitioning to the CEO role because I remember that first training camp where he wasn't the running backs coach anymore. And it was like, Hey, you can't yell at every single so player great. after every it rep. He's a training so camp. You could great. hear him. Yes. You could hear him. And then that, that first training camp, he'd kind of talk a little and then it would kind of go away. Like, Oh, I can't do that anymore. Um, and he talked, he got asked about it all the time. Like, how hard is it for you to throttle yeah. back right. things? And he was like, I've been doing one thing for, you know, however 15 years whatever it is uh it, yeah it's going to take an adjustment to to kind of step back in that role but um anyway sorry i didn't mean to, to cut no you no it, it was it was it was great and i would just say too like for an nfl coach looking at college right now that landscape ladies and gentlemen who it is a changing like you sure you want to jump back in these waters because they out here like like all yeah. the sharks like all the money and then like all and the a lot of kids aren't going to like it. And young yeah. kids might not like the way he coaches. Like he gets into young kids' face yeah. nowadays. Like kids might just be like, "I'm just gonna leave." You tell me I'm yeah. not good enough. I'm gonna go yeah. start somewhere else. And he's like, "Good luck." Yeah, <laughs> like, like, hey, good luck. You, like, Eric is a, Eric is very straightforward, and that is to be yeah. appreciated. But hey, like you mentioned, you know, the college game is changing, y'all, and like the NFL uh, will always benefit from college, obviously. Um, yeah. but I don't like, you'd have to be a very specific coach. You have to have a very specific plan. And that's different than having a very specific approach and a very specific plan about being an, a first time NFL head coach. Like, I think, like I have a, I had a lot of faith in Robert Sala, mm -hmm. but how you go about it, it cannot change you. You have to be part of the change. And I think some of those things is like, man, is the environment and the situation changing Robert Sala? Or is Robert Sala, you know, having to do things that are above or different from his own norms, you know, what he's comfortable with? Um, yeah. And so those are the questions that you have to really think about. You know, I, I have a lot of faith in Brendan Staley, honestly, because I know what he can do from an X's and an O situation. And I think he's probably a better leader than, than he's given credit for. But dog, that medical staff and the players getting hurt, like we may never, we just may never see it, right? Um, and so some of this is situational. But I think there are, once you're in the NFL, I think there are some things that are easier to transition and translate to, which I think is why people love Dan Quinn, because he's from the NFL <laughs> and he's applying, you know, some some hard knock. I hope people enjoy what I did there, some hard knock applications to a to a job that requires men to be at their best um and it's not a schematic basis you think it is but it is schematic and that's why it's so fun mm -hmm. to see like i mean the detroit lions love to run the ball because dan like dan campbell loves to run the ball and by the way he knows yeah. how to coach it up and that's really yeah. really cool um but yes he also wants to bite your kneecaps so i mean like <laughs> yeah. the persona you put out versus what you can do schematically to give your team an advantage is really interesting but it's so much easier to translate i think right now if you're in the nfl to nfl versus going back down a level and trying to keep your head on a swivel as to like so this is how jimbo fisher is good even though i don't yeah know he's good from there, like a, there's X's an o standpoint there's so many reasons why looking around the NFL that in the past to be like, Oh, this guy, they always, you know, there's so many different styles of coaching. It seems mm -hmm. like in the NFL and the game is changing so much that you have your Dan Quinn's, but then you have your Mike McDaniels um, for everything that he's doing, you know, yeah. from a schematic standpoint, he also, you'd be like, Oh, this guy's a genius. And then he 
the Tua situation. Yeah. Like, no, mm-hmm. he's not a genius. He is an right. idiot. Like, that is right. not a good idea. Yeah. Like, how does this happen? Um, Nathaniel Hackett. So it's hard. Uh, Matt, you just mentioned Matt Rule. Yeah. Like there, there is no reason no. that Eric Vienna, whatever reason that you would have for Eric Vienna not getting hit, not thinking he's ready. Look at Matt Rule. Look at Nathaniel Hackett's start to his career. Look at even Mike McDaniel. Everything happening on the field, but then completely blows the pro- this to yeah, a situation. Process. Like yeah. the it. There's no perfect coach out there that can do all of these things the right way. And so any excuse that the, people have made for, especially on the first right, go around, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, to your point, I, you'd be a lot more plugged in on that I, than I would. But, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised and not surprised to hear you say that you don't think Eric Bienemy will be back next season. Uh, hopefully he gets that opportunity. He has bought his time. I just hope that from a narrative standpoint, uh, when the Chiefs do start playing well, that it's not all the credit to Andy Reid. And then when it goes poorly, all the blame, you know, to Eric Bienemy, uh, which has kind of seemed like it was. And that was mainly because of a five-second conversation that was caught on camera. Eric Bieniemy did not call for a fake field goal on fourth and eleven, y'all. <laughs> that was not him. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I just, hey, it happens. Sometimes you lose because like the whole coaching staff sucks just as much as the players stink. Like, it just it happens. But like, you know, sometimes yeah, you stink. It, yeah, but but look, Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid learned their lessons from the Super Bowl and then applied it to you know a team that is. Uh, half young guys and new guys and half guys that have played in that previous Super Bowl. So, yeah, they all deserve credit, but there's a reason why the head coach gets most of the credit because he's the one leading the entire team, right? Yeah. Um, and until Eric Bidemi gets that job, he won't get that full credit because he's not leading an entire team. Yeah, same thing with you know, the personnel staff on the drafting. You know, everybody gives Brett Veach all the credit, but Brett Veach has an entire staff of people who yeah. have different opinions. And not every time does every scout love every player they take. That's not how it works. And just because you <laughs> right. take it, this is my this is my favorite. Yeah. Like you talk to the area scouts, be like, oh, they took your guy. And I was like, just because he's in my area, doesn't area mean doesn't mean I love guy. him. <laughs> mean yeah. Don't put that dude on me. Like, don't did you, do that. Did you did you see the other guy from the other conference across the country? Because he's really good <laughs> yeah all right good stuff that is nate taylor from the athletic nate what do you got work working on uh right now where can people find your stuff yeah uh the athletic.com um also the new york times you can find some of our stuff there as well um yeah i'll write about legere sneed who leads the team in sacks uh because co- quarterbacks haven't caught up apparently even 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 great ones like tom brady and then i'll probably write at some point later this week the Chiefs tight ends are just as good as their wide receivers. And can any other team in the league say that? Like, I have to go through all 31 other teams. But right now, the Chiefs have three legitimately serviceable to high-end tight ends based on situations and snap and production. And I just don't know if that is, you know, how rare that is across the rest of the league. That'll be a study that I'll have to do uh, here in the next couple hours. There you go. We'll look forward to that. Nate, appreciate it as always. And everybody, thank you for watching or listening to this episode of KCSN Update. We appreciate your support of KC Sports Network. Please don't forget to like and subscribe for watching on YouTube or rate and review. Leave us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Helps us reach more people. We appreciate all of your support and we'll have plenty more good content as we get ready for that showdown on Monday night in the AFC West against the Las Vegas Raiders that are basically playing for uh, their lives four or five weeks into the season, which is always great to say as a Chiefs fan talking about the Raiders having to claw, claw their way out um, you know, of the hole they dug themselves in and the Chiefs can just push them right back down and dig that hole a little deeper. It's always nice. So anyway, thank you all for watching and we'll see you all next time.